Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about what we're reading and books in general. And today we are going to discuss books that take place in December, whether that means uh, the holiday season or just the start of winter or whatever that might mean to you or to us. That's what we wanted to talk about today. But first, we want to apologize again for not having an episode come out two weeks ago. And do you want to explain a little bit of what happened? Sure. So we we had an episode planned. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't that we didn't do the work. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had, you know, everything figured out. And then the weekend before, before we were going to record, there was a car accident that actually caused a fire at my apartment building. And it was actually really awful because many uh, people are out of their homes because of the fire and someone died as a result of it. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just been uh, kind of a weird few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously I'm the, you know, extremely fortunate one who my only issue is that I didn't have the internet for a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. so I'm very grateful for that. But I even just coming home tonight, the my, I live kind of in a unit and the other half of the unit is all completely dark. There, Everyone is displaced that, that lived in all of those apartments. So the people on the other side of my wall are all not in their homes because of, of this fire. So, so yeah, so it was, it was pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I talked to a lot of the people that lived in those in, that are uh, specifically the one who who lost everything in the fire and she's very upbeat and feels very f- hopeful about the future so so I, I know there's lots of good things that are going on with that but it, it was a pretty awful situation so um so we're glad that to be back and that you know nothing more serious happened for the entire building but we're Absolutely. very sad about the the whole thing yeah especially the loss of life That's yeah awful so, um, so yeah, we did want to let everybody know that we we would have had an episode if we could have. We we realized we just came back after a long hiatus, so we were not intending to take a break again that quickly. But it's just circumstances out of our yeah. control. And then because of Thanksgiving, I was having visitors and was traveling. It was just too hard to try to coordinate another time to record. So instead, we're back. We're going to talk today about some books that feel like Christmas, December-ish kind of books to us. Uh, Originally, we had talked about doing Christmas books in particular, but then I think we both realized we don't read that many Christmas stories, right? In theory. (laughs) I don't. I want to. (laughs) Right. I don't. I know I don't. Yeah. It always sounds good, but then the few that... So I would say mostly the ones I've read have been romances. That's a pretty typical thing in romance that either collections of little short novellas come out together right or a a whole novel set at christmas i read a few of them and they're fine they're cute but they're not really memorable to me and it's crazy because i believe we have talked before about how much i love hallmark christmas movies yes (laughs) uh so you would think i would gobble them up but for some reason the movies that are super cheesy and predictable i love but the books that are that same way don't hit that same um, sweet spot for me so so yeah but I mean I'd have plenty of to talk about today and they all have something to do with Christmas but it's just not that sort of heart well and a heartwarming isn't even because they're they are heartwarming but I don't know what there's something like sickly sweet almost about some of these Christmas stories where it's like everybody in the end is so happy and good and I don't know it's a little bit different from what I'm going to be talking about today 
Yeah, yeah. I I think all of mine are kind of a different feel too. And I'm I'm also a giant fan of of Hallmark uh, Christmas movies, which might be kind of surprising to listeners. Yes, because that's because not really <laughs> you are not nearly the sap that I am. Yeah. Um. And for me, it's all the visual. And mm-hmm. so for so I also don't particularly. I would want to read them in theory, but I don't know that I enjoy reading them because they they don't have that visual, which mm-hmm. is so which draws me in so much. So, mm-hmm. and I couldn't care less about the romance. Every time I I watch those, I'm I'm like, eh, they're, they're going to get together. Who cares? Right. <laughs> Just show cares me the the cute gazebo. <laughs> so, right. But I have tried to read a few of those, and there was actually one I I thought about talking about because I just read it last year, but I just disliked it so much that I thought I can't I can't really in good faith talk about this book. And I mean, I I, I guess there are times. Spoiler alert: we talk all the time about books we don't like that much. So um, <laughs> I don't know if all the time is the right way to. Yeah, say you're that. right. You're right. You're right. But it's it's come up before, <laughs> and um, and I I firmly believe that you don't have to like a book to suggest a book to right. to readers because right. it's um, yeah different books are appealing for different reasons to different right. people. So right. just because I don't like something doesn't mean I can't recommend it as a book other people would like. Right, and so this one I thought I could do this, but. If anyone looked at my Goodreads, they would see how much I made fun of this book, and so it just seemed kind of disingenuous to then say, "And you, sh- you, this, this is one that might appeal to you." Right. Um, so I, I just I went in a different direction, and I'm I ended up really glad that I did. Yeah, me too. All right, well, why don't we just go ahead and dive in and start talking about the books we have? So my first book uh, is Blue Christmas by Mary Kate Andrews, and this is a novella. Um, it's part of the Wheezy and BB series that is set in Savannah. The, the first book, I think, is called Savannah Blues. There's also Savannah Breeze, but I think Savannah Blues comes first. And you might have seen kind of this trend to have um, a Christmas novella or, or several sort of interspersed into a series. And I think they're a really fun I guess it's sort of a, a marketing gimmick, but it's it, to me, it's like a special Christmas episode of a British TV show that they mm-hmm. they sort of throw in. And sometimes I feel like they're just this extra story that isn't really necessary to the to the overall arc of the of the series. But this one actually seems pretty necessary to over to understand what's going to happen in the next book. So so I wouldn't skip it if you're trying to read through the series. Um, I actually haven't read the rest of the series, and I really, really need to because I, I enjoy this one a lot. Um, but I still found that I could follow along in this this individual novella pretty easily. So um, the the main character is Wheezy Folly, and she is an antique dealer in Savannah, and she has a store downtown in one of the historic squares. And I think that from what I gathered, the earlier books in the series dealt with a fallout from her divorce. But there's kind there's it has a very humorous tone. It's very light. These are about as frothy of books mm-hmm. as you can get without. They're still they're still well written too. Like mm-hmm. like she's a bestseller for a reason. So 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 even though it's dealing with with this post divorce life, she's her life is going really well now. Um, she's very close with her best friend BB, and I, I'm assuming it's BB in my head. I'm I'm saying baby like like Moira Rose, um, but I don't <laughs> know if that's baby. <laughs> I wish I could do a good Moira Rose impression, but I I cannot. So. Um, <laughs> 
but I, I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it in the book. That's how I read it. She has a, a chef boyfriend who's named Daniel, and she has uh, a really successful business. And so things are going well. But the week before Christmas, things kind of fall apart. Um, she notices that Daniel is becoming distant, and he's really moody. And he says that it's because he hates the holidays, but it has Wheezy worried because she really wants to get engaged, but she sort of suspects that there's actually a, a breakup coming. She's also very invested in a store window decorating contest that's going on in the historic district. And she has a fierce competition with a couple who runs another antique store, I think in the same square where hers is. And they've gone sort of the obnoxiously over the top route for their decorations. So they have a a fake snow machine and and inflatables and that kind of thing. So um, she's much more tasteful than that. But right before the judging, her window is vandalized and she has to start over completely. So she finds this adorable blue Christmas themed uh, pin, like a like a uh, brooch kind of thing. Um, and she decides to go with that. So she makes everything in the window blue and it has this 1950s vintage theme to it. It sort of looks like a teenage girl's bedroom and it has records and an old phone and that like 1950s glass ornament that's kind of puffy looking if you can I I can picture it I hope other people can picture it too (laughs) so and the whole thing turns out amazing and so she's really pleased with it but she can tell that something weird is happening in the store because things have been disturbed and um, there are some things missing and she thinks that the bed in the window has been slept in so there's a little bit of a mystery element to the book Um, but of course a Christmas novella is going to have a heartwarming ending and it this is really the perfect kind of light reading for the season because it doesn't take too much time but you get this nice story and a nice atmosphere and really this is kind of the only time of the year that I want or or will allow something that's heartwarming into my life so um so I I was very charmed by it and I think it captures Savannah really really well which makes it really special to me for that because uh for people who are in Beaufort that you know that Savannah is about 45 minutes away from from that area and so I've spent tons and tons of time there and it holds a very special place in my heart and I feel like this book captures a lot of really specific details that um, you don't get just from maybe making a trip or two it's clear that Mary Kay Andrews knows knows the city fairly well so um, she mentioned specific shops and she she even talked about this homeless camp that's sort of hidden in uh, a freeway exit which I had never known about and then I was going to Savannah um, right after I read this book and I'm like oh that's what she's talking about mm-hmm. in the she just does a really good job with those mm-hmm. kinds of things mm-hmm. so if you like armchair, armchair travel then this would be a good pick for for something like that and like I said I went I went to Savannah after reading this um, I think it was even like a weekend uh, later and it was just really delightful to to find all these different locations that she talks about and savannah does the holidays really well it has this very old-fashioned feel to it and so it matches the vintage theme of the book really nicely and that is blue christmas by mary Kay andrews yeah that whole series is so fun i just looked it up actually because i was trying to remember how many of these i had read and i've read up through this one and then apparently there's another Christmas novella after yeah. this called Christmas Bliss. Yeah. So if you've already read Blue Christmas, Christmas Bliss might be an option. Yeah. There's, I, I want her to do more of these. Yeah. I don't know if she's going to, but I, I like them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like you said, they're, they're light and frothy, but they really show off Savannah. And my first one is Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory. And I feel like I talked about this in the fall book preview, maybe. Yes. Did, did I? Okay. I couldn't remember, but... I'll remember for you. Thank you. 
I, I'll be your conscience. It's not like too. I actually looked up show notes or anything. I just was like, I feel like <laughs> why I would talked, you do why that? Why would I do that? I was like, I feel like I talked about this. Anyway, so I've said basic the basic outline, but when I talked about it in the fall book preview, I had not read it yet, and now I have read it. So it is about the mother of the main character from the previous book, The Wedding Party. The main character in The Wedding Party's name is Maddie, and she is a stylist for not just celebrities, but partially celebrity stylists. And she gets an opportunity to style uh, the Duchess in England. So very clearly based on Meghan Markle. And she's an American and now has married a prince and is living in England. And she's spending her first Christmas with the royal family. So she wants to make sure that she's dressed appropriately for any photo opportunities and things like that. So Maddie is invited to come. And Maddie grew up with her mother as a single mom. Uh, and they were very, very close. So she invites her mother because she said they've never spent a Christmas apart. It doesn't matter that in the wedding party she had fallen in love with this man. It was like she wanted to be with her mom at Christmas. So she invites her to come over. She said she needs a break. She's a social worker who works very hard. She deserves this this vacation to a royal home, basically. So they go. Uh, her mom's name is Vivian. And Vivian has a lot of free time when they're there because Maddie is very focused on making sure that the Duchess gets whatever she wants. And there's quite a bit, quite a bit of work that actually happens when she, once she's there. She's altering clothes and making sure everything is fitting her properly and helping her decide on outfits and things like that. So one day when Vivian is there, one of the first days that she's there, a man walks into the kitchen of the house where they're staying and introduces himself. He is, his name is Malcolm. He's the Queen's private secretary. And he offers to show her around this, the estate. He said he has a little bit of free time. He can show her around. They start chatting and they're walking around and, and all of a sudden hours have passed. And neither of them intended for it to go that long, but they've had this lovely, lovely time together. And so he invites her to go see the horses the next day. And so they go to see the horses. She goes horseback riding, which is something she's never done before. She's always been scared of horses. But with him, she feels this level of comfort that she hasn't often felt before and a sense of adventure a little bit that she wants to try new things. And so they're having all these fun opportunities together to spend time together. But they're also recognizing that this is kind of just a short term thing. And at this point, they're it's mostly friendly. They're not quite sure if there's if the other one is feeling the romantic spark that they are. But soon it becomes apparent that um, on Christmas Eve, they invite him over to have dinner with all of the people that work in the house. And and it, it becomes apparent to both of them that, it, that there are mutual affections there. And so she ends up, he invites her to stay a little bit longer. They're supposed to go back uh, around New Year's. And he invites her to stay some extra time so that they can spend this time together. And she does. And suddenly they're starting to think about, hey, this is maybe more than the fling that we were thinking about because we're developing real feelings for each other. We have this sense of uh, comfort with each other and we're sharing all sorts of things. They're both dealing with things that um, you deal with as an adult. So Vivian has just been offered a promotion at her job, which is a, a big change in responsibility. And it's definitely something that everybody thinks of a promotion as a good thing because everybody believes that she can do this more, it's like a director of a department kind of work versus the on the ground social worker work that she was doing but she's really having doubts because what she loves about her job is interacting and helping patients in this hospital with navigating the system and so she wouldn't be doing really any of that anymore she'd be spending lots of times in meetings and doing administrative work and budgeting and things like that and so she's confiding in Malcolm about that and he's confiding in her that he has a nephew who 
he has really helped raise his his sister was a single mom and he's helped raise his nephew and he has all these hopes for him to go to college and then or university in England and suddenly he decides to have a change in what his future plan is his nephew does and so he's sort of grappling with what how to handle that and how to react to that and he doesn't react to it very well and so they're really they're confiding each other but they're also dealing very much with their own sort of set of life responsibilities and so the thought of having anything long term with this other person really isn't possible in their minds because they live so far away and they have these lives that that don't involve this other person so as you can imagine there is a happy ending it is a romance it all is taking place around christmas it's feeling very festive there are lots of lovely descriptions of food and the decorations and things like that and it's just it's a lovely holiday read you uh, the other reason I really liked it is you don't often see romances with characters who are in their mid fifties, and particularly right. they Jasmine Guillory does not shy shy away from the more intimate parts of their relationship once they get involved in a romantic relationship, which again I don't think you see very often. You often are hearing about twenty year olds in intimate relationships or twenty five year olds, but somebody in their fifties that's not often in romance at least in maybe other genres that's right. that's more evident but not in romance and so it's just a really it's really lovely for lots of reasons the characters uh, are very very likable they're relatable you understand sort of what their issues are of why they are not immediately like yes let's throw away our life in California to stay here in England forever you know you don't you don't take that lightly and so um, but it does have a happy ending it's very very sweet and lovely and that is Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory. I'm, re- I'm really excited to read that one yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I feel like, is it is it Doria Ragland is is uh, Megan yeah. Markle's yeah her mom, mom. yeah very much and based on is, her yeah yeah everyone's in love with her and just thinks she's the the greatest yeah. kind of side benefit of of that whole relationship and so it's it's nice to see a sort of a play on right on her right yeah so. yeah it was very much who I was picturing in my head as I was reading. Okay, so my next book is We Are Okay by Nina LaCour, and this is technically a YA um, because it won the Prince Award, which I'm going to toot my own horn because I called it that it would win, and I'm very pleased with myself, obviously, because of of my um, ability to predict the Prince Award this very limited time. But it can also be considered a new adult book, which if you're not aware of what that genre is, it's for books, um, it's books that are about people who are aged 18 to 30, who are sort of the theme is is them figuring out how to establish themselves as adults. So this book um, is about a college freshman. So this this falls into that category. And her name is Marin, and she's from San Francisco. Um, she's named like the, the county there. And um, she's actually going to school in rural New York, um, a a little bit north of the city, like along the Hudson River. So the town is remote and everything is covered with snow because it's uh, the very beginning of her winter break and she's the only person who stayed on campus. Um, I can't remember if, if, I think that there's someone like a, a janitor that's around, but for the most part, she's completely by herself. So it's kind of peak isolation because she's far away from I think the campus is a little bit removed from town and then she's alone in the storm and it's snowy and it's it's just as as uh, lonesome as you can picture. So she's also mentally isolated. She left California really suddenly after high school and she hasn't talked to anyone from home since then and she even at school um, hasn't really 
fit in very well. She she is doing fine, but she's struggled to feel settled and she's um, clearly going through something. And we know that from the beginning that something happened to make her leave, but we aren't told immediately that that information is kind of teased out throughout the book. So uh, but it's it, eventually everything will be answered. So she's anxious about the arrival of her best friend, Mabel, who is coming to spend Christmas at the dorm with her, um, which I kind of can't figure out how parents would allow that, um, just because my parents would never allow that. But um, it sounds kind of awesome, too. Um, and Mabel is confused about what happened in, in their their friendship because Marin, or Marin, I should say, hasn't told her anything. She left everything behind and she left at a time when their friendship was starting to shift into something more. So there's there's just a lot of un- un- unanswered questions on many levels for the two of them. So the scenes in New York alternate between flashbacks to California, and there's this total tonal shift in, in these sections. Everything in California just feels sun-drenched and loose and vibrant, and Marin is happy, and she's surrounded by people she loves. Um, she has this grandfather who raised her, and Mabel has a dynamic family that, that really treats Marin like she's just this this daughter, this this other daughter of theirs. And so we're left wondering what happened to cause such a huge shift for her. Um, and that co- that contrast to me is the thing that really stands out about, about this book because there's like if you picture the feeling of floating in the ocean where everything is warm and and you just feel the sun beating down on you and you have no care in the world and then the feeling of being cocooned in wool in a dark closet and you're freezing, that's kind of the 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 two feelings that you get from these sections of the book, um, which I, I don't know how she, how Nina LaCour managed to do such a great job of conveying these two different feelings so effectively, but it's it's just so striking the way she does it. So there's, there's a plot to this book, but it's much more about the character. And it's a really, really short book. It's only, uh, I looked it up, it's 236 pages, and that's not long at all, but you get this really full depiction of these characters and their history. And again that's that's another thing that's just so impressive to me about it because it feels completely real they they feel like real people you're never aware of the fact that she's doing this in other than when you're finished with it you're you're like how did she technically do this to get this much information into such a, a small package so it's it's just really astounding um her writing i i love this book because um besides the the beautiful story it is very heartwarming at the end. Um, it has this perfect feel of winter to it, and it really gives kind of the full breadth of the winter experience because you have snow and it's really cozy out inside. And and um, I love that that feeling. But then there's also sort of this melancholy aspect to it, which um, I also feel is pretty prevalent during during December. It actually uh, reminds me, in a lot of ways, of my. Uh, sort of this dumb thing I would do when I was when I lived in Indiana um, it was from the very first year I moved there I I was working and uh, I ha- wasn't in school yet and I could I would go home for Christmas to Arizona but I would uh, I couldn't leave as early as as everyone else because everyone else was in school and so then I still had to work and so I would be there for several days on my own and it, it just felt like the town was completely deserted and I know that there, you know there's plenty of people that live in, in Bloomington that are full year. Uh, townies, but uh, there's something about that winter time that that was just like 
I am alone on the planet. I haven't seen anyone other than going to work. And um, I used to stay up all night to catch a shuttle to, to go home and I'd have to walk to the shuttle and it would be just completely black and and icy and it just it just was such a, a weird feeling and so that really resonated with me to read this book and to to remember how that felt to feel completely alone um and, and I, I sort of secretly loved it so um I think that for lots of people the holidays can be very lonely um mm-hmm. and that's something that we don't talk about as much um, when we talk about December books or holiday books, um, but this captures that feeling of loneliness and grief mm. and shows how they change us um, as people. And uh, like I said, this is ultimately a, a hopeful book. Mm. And I, I generally don't cry when I'm reading, but I sobbed like an idiot at the end of this book. Mm. And I like that it it gives sort of both ends of of the December experience for many people. And that is We Are Okay by Nina Lacour. Yeah, I I like that book quite a lot, and I think you described it very well. Oh, good. My next one is one of my absolute favorite books that I read last year. It's called One Day in December. Oh my gosh, I didn't write down the author. Who is the author? I will tell you at the end. I will tell you at the end. I'm just going to tell you about my book because we are on a bit of a time limit today. So it is just this lovely, heartwarming book. It is about a woman who is in her early 20s, I believe, named Lori. And she's riding the bus one day. And she's on the bus and she sees somebody this cute guy sitting at the bus stop, they make eye contact just for like a second. And she feels this connection to him. And she senses that maybe he feels a connection to her. He sort of, if I'm remembering correctly, he sort of like almost stands up a little bit or like halfway, you know, is sort of as if he's getting up to walk to the bus to be like, hey, I want to talk to you. But then the bus moves on, keeps driving. So that's it. They just have this brief moment of a connection. She spends the next year basically trying to find him and not even really trying to find him but just thinking about him hoping she's going to see him again and her best friend is also her flatmate named Sarah and she's all encouraging about this and they are they both basically built it up into this is her dream guy that she saw when she was on the bus and that they're destined to be together and so then one day Sarah brings her new boyfriend home who she's been talking about for the last few weeks how this great guy and she brings him home and it is the bus boy. It is the bus guy. No. Yes, I know. So, of course, they both, they see each other, and he does not give any sort of recognition that he knows her from this bus incident. And so she pretends also that she doesn't know him. And then it would never, they would never dream of hurting Sarah in any way. So she is not, she doesn't even tell Sarah, her best friend, that this, her new boyfriend is the bus boy. So the two of them become friends because they have their Sarah in common. And eventually it does come out that he does recognize her from this this moment on the bus. But it's the book goes over about 10 years, I think. It's many, many years where they have all these sort of missed connections because there are moments that they sort of get close to maybe revealing that they have some romantic feelings for each other. But he's dating her best friend and then she starts dating somebody. So it's like they could never just get it quite right. And they come to really rely on each other very much as friends. So you don't want to rock that boat either. Once once independently of Sarah, they become close friends themselves. They don't want to risk losing that friendship. And so it is just such a charming, charming story. It is, I liked it too, because it doesn't shy away from the fact that these are characters with sort of real 
flaws. So Lori, the main character, tends to maybe drink too much at times. Jack can be a little bit mean sometimes in, in what he says or what he does, or maybe a little bit dismissive of her feelings. And so they sort of have legitimate conversations or arguments about the the other one's choices in life. And so it feel it just felt very even though it's a really unlikely premise that you would be on a bus and make this connection in a split second to somebody that you saw outside, that that, that would be something that would actually happen, that then her roommate brings him home as her boyfriend. For some reason, it really did feel kind of like it could happen to me because of the way the characters are developed. Um, and it just ends in this absolutely very swoony way, and it all takes place at Christmas, and uh, the end does, at least. And, um, and so it's just a perfect book to read right now, especially I was thinking about it. If you're traveling and you have hours on an airplane or in airports or... Uh, you just need some time to yourself from the craziness if you celebrate Christmas and it can be a very sort of stressful, tense time because there's lots going on, lots of interactions with other people. And I know introverts tend to need to withdraw at times to re-energize. And this would be a perfect book if you are a person who needs their quiet time to read during the Christmas holiday. Uh, it is One Day in December by who did, did who wrote it? We don't know. I should have looked it up while you were... Well, you were uh, Josie Silver. I was like, going oh, to say Josie Silver. Okay, so that is One Day in December by Josie Silver. Um, my last book is The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand. And I know we've talked about some other Cynthia Hand books before. We both really liked uh, the My Lady Jane. Oh, um, yeah, so fun. The, the, yeah, that's that's the first one is and she's she's just the, writes really fun YA books. So this is a take on the Christmas on A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and uh the Scrooge of this book is a spoiled LA socialite named Holly Chase and she's the daughter of a famous film director and she has a vapid uh, stepmom named Yvonne who is recently deceased and she's basically the worst person you can imagine she um, does things like she forces the family maid Elena to sit around the mansion to wait on her on Christmas because she's going to be alone her her father is not there and she doesn't really have any reason to have her her maid there she just doesn't want her to enjoy herself so instead of going home to be with her sick daughter Elena has to just sit around um, and make pancakes for Holly so she's pretty terrible and so on the night of Christmas Eve she's visited in her sleep by Yvonne who tells her to change her ways and she's visited by three spirits and it's the the typical story except she laughs at the ghosts she doesn't she doesn't have any sort of uh, feeling of of remorse or um, as she showed she's shown things like um, moments when she abandoned her best friend she just feels nothing and so she wakes up and she doesn't change anything and a week later she dies and she's hit by a car when she's coming outside of uh, coming out of her yoga studio and she wakes up and she's told um, she's in this beautifully upholstered room and she's told that she's dead and that she now works for Project Scrooge and so the book jumps to five years in the future and she's still working for Project Scrooge she's the new ghost of Christmas past and she's based in New York City which she absolutely hates it's the the opposite of LA and so it, it's just the worst thing she can imagine and um, basically the the point of her job is every year there's a new Scrooge and and this whole organization uh, 
is there to try to fix people. So they uh, identify a new Scrooge every year. It's just someone who's terrible and they have to try to fix them um, on Christmas Eve night. And so she's living this really bland existence. She's She doesn't have any frills in her life. She She's invisible to other people. She lives in this awful apartment. She doesn't get to do anything that she used to do. And she, she hates New York, like I said. And so she just kind of exists. And the the new year is coming up and she um, is starting out and she just kind of has this, she's, she's basically phoning it in all the time. And she she's just like, okay, I'm, I'm starting over for another year. And then they reveal the new Scrooge. And it's usually a guy in his 70s who's extremely rich. But this year it's a guy named Ethan who is hot <laughs> and he's young. And um, suddenly Holly is really into the job. So I just started this uh, this past weekend and it just felt like everything I want to read right now. It's it's kind of, it's frothy and it's uh, kind of snarky and I know it will have a nice ending and it just felt like the perfect Christmas book to be reading. So I love retellings too. So it, it just feels very, um, I, like I wish I could put aside everything and read this book right now. So that is The Afterlife of Holly Chase by uh, Cynthia Hand. That sounds so much fun. I like so much fun. I haven't, I feel like I say this after so many books you talk about, but I had, I didn't know about that book because it's YA, I take it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not as tuned into YA right now as I used to be, so I didn't know about that. That's, yeah. That sounds so fun. All right, so my last one is Seven Days of Us by Francesca Hornick, Hornack. Um, and it is about, so this would have actually, I don't think we, I think we can say what the topic of our last episode was supposed to be, right? I think we'll do yeah. it at some yeah. point. But it was sort yeah. of like about family gatherings or dysfunctional families. We're sort of doing a theme about people spending time with their families around the holidays. <laughs> and so this is actually <laughs> going to be one of my picks, which is about the Birch family, who they have not spent a Christmas together in many, many years. They have adult children. It's a set of parents and their adult children. So they are, they've all kind of been off doing their own thing. But the oldest daughter, Olivia, has just been in Liberia fighting this uh, terrible virus outbreak, and she's coming home. And so they're all going to gather. And as it turns out, she has been exposed to this virus, so now she has to be in quarantine. And because now her family has also potentially been exposed to the virus, nobody can leave the house for seven days because they have to all be quarantined. So they're all stuck together. And the youngest daughter is planning a wedding to a man who she is maybe not in love with. Um, and then the father just received an email of, uh, from a son who he did not know existed. Uh, the mother received news about a cancer diagnosis uh, right before this that she is planning on keeping a secret until after the holidays. Um, so there's lots of lots of secrets being held among this family and lots of past tensions or slights that they're holding against each other that they're they're basically forced to confront because they're all stuck in this small small not small, but confined space, I guess, for a week. And so these old resentments end up boiling over, but then truth comes out and suddenly they're starting to understand each other in a way they never have before. So it becomes actually much more of a hopeful book than maybe the description makes it sound like. It sounds like it might be a little bit um, depressing <laughs> because it's like, oh, they all have all these secrets. Um, but it actually, it's it, there is some squabbling, you know, there is some family, some family arguing, but there is also sort of a breakthrough where they 
they realize how much they all mean to each other. So it does ultimately become a hopeful, uplifting story that's perfect for the families. I think of it sort of like the movie The Family Stone. Have you seen that? I don't know if you've yes. seen that. It's it, you know, yeah. it's, it's a Christmas movie about a family coming together in sort of the same way where you have all these long-standing this long-standing history between these people. And so it is perfect um similar to the book I just talked about but in a different way. If you are dealing maybe with your own family issues it might be a nice escape to go read about another family uh or if you have a lovely family like my family i love my family i love spending time with them it's fun to read about a family that has has a different different take on what it means to all be together for the holidays so that is seven days of us by francesca hornick yeah drama is fun no matter what yeah, I time. think so. Just there's something about dysfunctional families that there. I like I like reading about them. I don't know why. Like, yeah. I, I I come from a family that we all are very lucky. We love and support each other very much. So there's a sense of sort of seeing the other side of things yeah. uh, by reading about them. But yeah. Okay, okay, we will be right back with what we are reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I just finished a book called The Hiding Place by CJ Tudor, and this is what I listened to um, during my Thanksgiving road trip. And so it kept me awake while I was exhausted, and I'm very grateful for that. It's about a man named Joe Thorne who moves back to his small English hometown near Nottingham, and uh, he goes to teach at a local school. And you know from the very beginning that he's not entirely a good person. He really is a teacher, but he forged his references and he forged his resume to get the job. So um, he's there with a purpose. He hates the place. He hate, It's a former mining town and the school is just a, an awful, awful school. Um, but he returned to learn more about a horrific murder that took place in the cottage that he's renting. This happens at the very beginning of the book. There's a mother who kills her. I think he's like a 12-year-old son. And she wrote, not my son, in blood on the wall. And then she killed herself. So it's about as awful as you can imagine. He thinks, Joe thinks that this this murder is linked to, a dis- to the disappearance and death of his little sister, um, which happened when he was 15. And his sister Annie was several years younger than he was, than he is and she disappeared for a few days and then came back different and Joe says at one point that he, he thought it couldn't get worse than when she was missing but then realized the only thing that was worse was her coming back because of this difference that she she exhibited she later dies in a car accident along with their father and so there's there's this long history of of tragedy for him so he comes back because he starts to receive anonymous messages that reference his past and so he decides that that's there there's must be something going on so when he's at school he sees that many of the issues um come from the bullying son of a former friend of his who was also a bully named Stephen Hurst who now controls the town he's on like every council possible and and is rich and and uh one of those kind of um Mr. Porter is that the potter from uh whatever it's called (laughs) Mr. from it's a wonderful life yeah yeah that type of person (laughs) another seasonal uh, nod (laughs) so joe starts asking questions and steven doesn't like it he he will send his thugs to to rough joe up um but joe really has nothing to lose and he feels like history is repeating 
repeating itself and he wants to stop it. So then the book flashes back to 1992 when Annie disappeared and the town had turned on hard times and strange things are happening in the mines that that are um, underlying the entire town. And Joe and his friends find a, a hatch kind of thing that takes them down into the mines. And there's the sense that there's something supernatural going on there and when they're there something terrible happens and nothing no one comes out of the mines the same as they went down to inside there are some fantastically creepy parts to this book especially toward the end Um, i would qualify it as as uh, psychological suspense but it definitely has a horror edge to the book which i i found to be very appealing and the narrator on it is actually Richard Armitage, um, who's, if you've seen North and South, he's the the main uh, male lead in that. And he does an absolutely fantastic job. He's appealing and menacing all at the same time. And um, I just, I, I thought he did a really great job with this. And that is The Hiding Place by C.J. Tudor. Well, it's so funny that you talk about it being psychological suspense, but maybe tinged with horror, because my book is horror, but tinged with psychological suspense. <laughs> so <laughs> mine is The Twisted Ones by T. Kingfisher, which is a pseudonym for an author. Um, I don't know her real name, but that is a pseudonym. And this is really funny because this is a horror book. And I have been saying for as long as I can remember that I am not a horror reader and I'm not a fan of horror. I don't like being scared, but I think I maybe have to stop saying that. Yeah, you do. Because, uh, so I, I shared in, I think the very first episode back that I'm on this committee for ALA called the Reading List Council. We put together a list of books every year in eight different genres, horror being one of them, that we consider some of the best books in the genre. So I'm reading a lot more horror than I ever would have before. I I think I had read one or two horror books before last year when I went on to this committee. And I really like a lot of them. Now, I still don't like the ones that are very gory and violent and bloody and scary in that way but there is this we talk at work about a dread versus gore continuum it's a (laughs) spectrum where you can sort of you go one way and it gets exactly that very gory and violent but the other way is a very strong sense of dread or unease or it's more creepy than gross kind of thing so on that end of the spectrum i i really actually like those books quite a lot and they're very similar to psychological suspense i mean Lots of times there is more of a supernatural element to it, but not always. Or there's a hint of the supernatural, but then it turns out it's not. So, which I think is often also in psychological suspense that every once in a while it's like, wait, what's really going on here because of the unreliable narrator part? Anyway, that's a very long way of saying this is a this is a horror novel, but I really enjoyed it. It has a great sense of humor, which I don't always think of with horror, but it really does. It takes place very close to where I live and her descriptions of North Carolina were so spot on. There was one point I was reading it off to my boyfriend because it made me laugh out loud just the way she (laughs) described driving down the road in North Carolina. She just so captured it. Uh, So it is about a woman named Melissa. Her nickname is Mouse and she is asked by her father to go clean out her grandmother's house. Her grandmother has passed away. Her father isn't, isn't well so she realizes that if he if he is asking her it's because he really needs her to it's because he can't do it basically so she is a freelance editor and she has the flexibility to be able to go and do this and she feels like 
there's no way she can say no to her father. Plus, he offers to split the proceeds of the sale of the house with her once it's cleared out. And she really, really needs the money. She's basically broke. So she packs up her stuff and she has a dog and they head to North Carolina for a few weeks to clean out the house. And it's a bit of a nightmare. Her grandmother definitely had hoarding tendencies. So it's not as bad as as some hoarding nightmares that you hear about. But it's it's bad. Lots of Lots of newspapers stacked up. There's a whole room full of creepy dolls that she kept. And it's oh, not gosh. its not the greatest. Yeah, it's not the greatest. It's a lot of, of taking truckloads of things to the dump. And as she's cleaning one day, she discovers her step-grandfather's journal. And she always felt kind of bad for her step-grandfather because her grandmother was horrible. She was really mean and really mean particularly to him. And he seemed like a pretty nice, low-key, very mild-mannered kind of kind of guy. So she starts reading the journal and at first she thinks it's like the scattered thoughts of a man who is maybe succumbing to dementia or some sort of decline in mental ability. But then she is out with her dog one day and he he takes off running and she ends up in a weird like circle of stones on the top of a mountain in an area where we don't have mountains. We have hills, but it's very clearly the top of a mountain. And so she's looking around thinking, this isn't normal, but at the same time, what else could it be? So then a different day, this weird creature shows up outside of her door staring at her and it freaks her out. And so it's clearly something's going on and she has to figure it out. But, and so it is creepy. I mean, the creatures are definitely very, very creepy, but I didn't find it horribly scary, and I did think that the humor offset any sort of unease that, you know, it would build, 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 but then there would be something more humorous to offset that. And then the side characters in this town where she's staying are really interesting, and they're very supportive of her, and so it, it was just, it was very atmospheric in lots of lots of different ways and just a really a, a pleasure to read. So that is The Twisted Ones by T. Kingfisher. I hadn't heard of that one. That sounds really good. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Uh, Let's go back and list what we talked about today. Okay, I talked about Blue Christmas by Mary Kay Andrews, We Are Okay by Nina LaCour, The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand, and what I'm reading this week is The Hiding Place by C.J. Tudor. And I talked about Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory, One Day in December by Josie Silver, Seven Days of Us by Francesca Hornick, And what I was reading this week was The Twisted Ones by T. Kingfisher. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. We'll be back in two weeks with our favorite books of 2019. Yay! Bye!